Welcome to The Wood Podcast, where we explore solutions to some of the world's most critical challenges in energy and the built environment. I'm your host, Katie Zimmerman. Thank you for joining Enabling the Hydrogen Economy series, where we discuss an array of hydrogen-centric topics and feature subject matter experts and clients who are on their journey to either make it, move it, or use it. Our second episode focuses on the production of blue hydrogen and connected perceptions around steam methane reforming, SMR, versus autothermal reforming, ATR. Last episode, we discussed how hydrogen can be part of enabling the energy transition. But today, I'd like to get an overview of how we make blue hydrogen and some of the genuine challenges and misconceptions around its production from conventional energy sources. What are some of the technologies available for making blue hydrogen and how do they work? How do some of those technologies stack up in terms of the energy transition? What does the carbon footprint of each option look like and how does it compare to other forms of energy? What are some of the myths around blue hydrogen? We will touch on all of these topics today, but first I'd like to welcome Brian McCarthy, Wood's Vice President of Technology and Products. I'd also like to welcome back Brittany Drake. Brittany is our Business Development Director for Energy Assets and Technology. And finally, I'd like to introduce Omar Badani. Omar leads the global business development and strategy for Woods Hydrogen Technology. He sits within our Hydrogen Center of Excellence in Milan, Italy. Before we dive into the complex topics surrounding blue hydrogen, can someone give me an overview of what blue hydrogen is? The most common technology to produce hydrogen is the steam reforming of natural gas and other hydrocarbon products. And it's already applied across refineries and chemical facilities and Today, this is known as gray hydrogen because of the carbon intensity. The marketplace tends to use the terminology blue hydrogen as a solution for a lower carbon intensity. This can be achieved by taking the carbon dioxide byproduct from the steam methane reforming and capturing it for sequestration or for reuse rather than emitting it into the environment like it currently is. Blue hydrogen is the most scalable and readily available low-carbon hydrogen technology on the market right now. Various technologies are also emerging to produce blue hydrogen beyond the traditional steam methane reforming with the post-combustion carbon capture. Uh, These include autothermal reforming, which really differs from the SMR on how the heat is supplied to the reforming reactions. And unlike the SMR, this process requires the introduction of oxygen into the process from an air separation unit. Another one is partial oxidation, um, and it produces a mixture of hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide. These technologies have emerged as lower carbon solution to the traditional SMR. However, they still need to include the capture and storage or utilization of the carbon dioxide to actually deliver blue hydrogen. And another emerging technology is our method of traditional steam methane reforming with an integrated pre-combustion carbon capture and with or without, depending on the case, our in-house developed gas-heated reactor, or GHR as we call it, um, to optimize the energy efficiency. Just recently, an academic paper concluded that blue hydrogen has a greater impact to greenhouse gas emissions than burning coal. How would you address the criticisms of blue hydrogen? Katie, this is a really great question and is a subject of active discussion today. As is often the case, the answer resides in the nuance of the assumptions behind the criticisms, which tend to focus on the steam methane form reforming process 
which is the current incumbent means for hydrogen generation at scale. The four primary criticisms of blue hydrogen are its maximum achievable carbon capture rates, fugitive methane emissions in the supply chain, the carbon intensity for power needed to drive the carbon capture process, and a notion that blue hydrogen technology is static and shouldn't be expected to improve in the future. Can you elaborate on the four areas that you've mentioned, Brian? Sure, Katie. Um, the prevalent notion among critics is that carbon capture rates of only up to 60% are possible. In fact, much higher rates are possible with reasonably simple reconfigurations on a traditional process, which permits capture rates in excess of 90% today. With respect to fugitive methane emissions, there's no question that this needs to be addressed to tackle the climate challenge. But if we look worldwide, this is addressable and there are concrete examples where industry is achieving very low rates of methane intensity today. With respect to the carbon intensity of carbon capture technology, this, this can be remedied through integration of renewable power resources into blue hydrogen installations. And finally, um, the potential for blue hydrogen uh, and its technological development is not static and technology advancements should be expected. It's reasonable to expect that carbon capture rates for SMR will ultimately be able to exceed 95% and efficiencies of carbon capture technologies will certainly improve over time as well. There have been statements made that the SMR is a dying technology and the future is ATR with the opinion it has a lower carbon footprint and the maximum limit of the SMR carbon capture rate is only in the range of 60%. Omar, what are your thoughts? Thank you, Katie. Well, achieving only 60% capture rate may be the case for pre-combusting carbon capture when applied to a dated SMR with no modifications or improvements of the existing assets. This is not true for new greenfield facilities or even brownfield revamps, such as a great blue conversion for more modern SMRs. We have recent designs now being offered to customers with 90 plus percent carbon capture and 95 is within reach, as Brian mentioned. Frankly speaking, the carbon footprints are comparable. ATR actually has greater power consumption than the SMR because you need a separation unit to support the process. And if the source of the power is not renewable, then the SMR is an aging carbon footprint. If the source of power is fully renewable, ATR can have an edge. But this will require that ample renewables are available, or there will be an additional renewables investment to support the ATR increasing the overall capex. I've heard that it's more complex to apply carbon capture to SMRs than a similar application for ATR because it requires carbon capture from two separate CO2-rich effluent streams. Yes, I've also heard people talk about this, Katie, and the straight answer would be no, that's not true. It's very similar to ATR. For instance, wood blue SMR design can provide a high carbon capture rate even though it is designed to remove CO2 from a single CO2-rich stream. In fact, as briefly anticipated by Brittany, through the application of carbon capture on the produced single stream only, a so-called pre-combustion carbon capture, together with other smart integrations, 
world's blue hydrogen production can provide greater than 90% carbon emissions reduction that I mentioned before. We've addressed some interesting counterpoints to consider when comparing the SMR to ATR. Are there any other common misconceptions you hear on a regular basis? I'd like to raise one that I hear quite often, which is the issue around cost. There's this misconception that the ATR has a lower capex than the SMR, but for a proper comparison of the two, you really need to look at the full picture, which includes the added utilities or ancillaries. Um, the air separation unit is not required for the SMR, uh, but it's integral to the ATR process. And due to this factor, the ATR has significantly higher capex and opex than a blue SMR. Circling back to something one of you said earlier, could you apply Wood's blue hydrogen scheme to existing SMRs and achieve 90 plus percent carbon capture? Or what considerations need to be made to determine the best solution? Do clients need to look at if it's a new greenfield or brownfield revamp? Or when does it make sense to simply tack on post-combustion carbon capture? We certainly have the ability to implement our blue hydrogen solutions for brownfield projects, but the actual reduction in CO2 emissions depends on the original design of the hydrogen unit. This means that for old and low-performing existing hydrogen units, we may not reach the 90-plus percent reduction. However, the solutions remain relevant as even 85, 86, or 88 are very significant results that can be obtained with an investment significantly lower than the one required for the complete replacement of the existing hydrogen unit with the new state of part one. Post-combustion carbon capture-based solutions may also be attractive in this case and should not be ignored as they may bring good results with limited impact on the existing facility. In the case of brownfield projects, it is definitely advisable to have an early engagement with hydrogen experts like Wood in order to analyze all the options in terms of feasibility and economics to be sure that the investment brings the best possible results. Thanks, Omar. That was a great summary of the different considerations when selecting which blue technology is the right application. I want to switch gears for a minute because a lot of people ask me about green versus blue hydrogen. One thing I know we talked about quite a bit is how blue hydrogen offers scale and affordability sooner than green hydrogen, but could provide a bridge to future green hydrogen development. Would you care to elaborate? I'll take this one, Katie. So it's fair to say that the driver affecting the rate of growth through green hydrogen, and when we say green hydrogen, this is, this is hydrogen production through electrolysis, that the, the main driver is, the, is cost rather than technology. Although, of course, the two are interlinked. We need to scale up to drive down costs and learn by doing. That means progressing demonstration projects, which were sufficiently large to achieve both. Green hydrogen has traditionally been more expensive than blue hydrogen, primarily due to the current high investment costs related to the electrolyzers, as well as the availability of low-cost renewable energy to power the process. Blue hydrogen is scalable to a very large production capacity and presents a very competitive investment cost today compared to green hydrogen. Reaching scale is predicated on a push-pull mechanism, demand-driven on one hand and supply-driven on the other. 
We think that in the near term, blue hydrogen can be a catalyst in driving demand for green hydrogen, leading to the establishment of infrastructures that support growth in green hydrogen, such as networks, storage, and the expanded end use. This will facilitate the economics of green hydrogen, which remains challenging at present. Simultaneously, hydrogen production via electrolysis can only be termed green if renewable power drives the process. And the fact is that the current global energy system is still predominantly supported by fossil fuels. For this reason, the trajectory of green hydrogen supply will naturally follow the trajectory of new wind and solar power generation investments. While there may appear to be a competition between green and blue hydrogen production, in practice, the opportunities are contingent on geographic and resource constraints. The most cost-effective renewable energy locations are only available in specific regions and environments. And at the same time, blue hydrogen production has to have access to low-cost natural gas and be located at or near sites suitable for, for carbon capture and sequestration. The most favorable conditions for blue and green hydrogen may not overlap in a relocation, leaving potential for large-scale development of both worldwide. How do some of those technologies stack up in terms of the reducing emissions? Well, as you know, we're in an ongoing transition to a low-carbon economy, and the market for hydrogen is becoming more and more demanding. Yet at the same time, we're facing the challenges to decrease the emissions released to the environment. So for instance, one ton of hydrogen produced from fossil fuels, nine to 12 tons of carbon dioxide is generated. The recent IPCC report highlighted the drastic need and urgency to cut emissions. We need to direct more attention to the readily available technologies with lower investment costs that can achieve a higher efficiency than the SMR with post-combustion carbon capture. Depending on the process, and available resources, it could be the ATR, but the SMR is not a dying technology. Uh, Brian, you said it perfectly, it's not a static market. Technologies are evolving, new innovations are developing, and many of which are in the piloting stages. Uh, Wood's scheme for the SMR with an integrated pre-combustion carbon capture system delivers the low carbon hydrogen reaching beyond 90% um, CO2 recovery at a much lower cost. Brittany, you made a very good point about the amount of CO2 generated by hydrogen production. And I wanted to add more than that. Do you know that the nine tons of CO2 per ton of hydrogen you mentioned is equivalent to 70,000 to 80,000 kilometers driven in a gasoline-based car? I believe this clearly shows the need to decarbonize the hydrogen production. And this, again, cannot be done relying only on green hydrogen, as it requires a considerable amount of renewable power, which is currently not available. I agree with that, Omar. We need to start implementing blue hydrogen projects while continuing to mature green hydrogen and nurturing emerging technologies, such as biohydrogen, which can produce hydrogen via steam reforming with a biofeedstock instead of fossil-based feedstocks. Integrating this process with carbon capture could potentially achieve carbon-negative hydrogen production. This, as well as other types of emerging technologies, will also play a very large role in tackling the challenge for deep greenhouse gas emissions over the coming years. 
And that brings us to the close of this episode on blue hydrogen, including our experts debunking the myths of SMR versus ATR, enabling the hydrogen economy. If you would like to connect with today's guests or explore related insights, please visit us at woodplc.com backslash podcast, where you can also subscribe and receive updates to the Wood Podcast. At Wood, our curiosity keeps us pushing, innovating, making them possible, possible. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. Take care and have a great day.